0: Will you join me in our second reading our gospel text today? It's John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, We see... Your sin remains. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Holy God, why is it that we look but do not see? Bring us again and again into your light until your ways become visible to us and bear fruit in us. Touch us so that we are utterly changed, a before and after, a now and then, that we may also see. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's light we pray. Amen. Amen. Today's lectionary text... Ooh, I'm going to move this down. Sorry. Today's lectionary text is actually an entire chapter of John 9, and instead of reading it together in its entirety, I'll give you a brief summary, and then we'll read and learn that Jesus healed a man who was born blind. This passage of the Gospel of John heightens the tension between Jesus and his followers and the religious leaders who despise him. In prior chapters, Jesus has confronted the hypocrisy of those who claim to understand scripture but who reject what it says. He has also challenged the tradition by healing on the Sabbath day. In this chapter, John 9, Jesus will once again perform a miracle on the Sabbath, resulting in no small controversy. When the dust settles, local religious leaders will be thoroughly embarrassed, not by Jesus, but by the man who he has been healed, who has been healed there are about four movements that take place in today's text, and we'll look at each a little bit closer. The first movement is Jesus encountering the blind man, and this man has been blind his entire life. The disciples react to the situation with the typical worldview of their day. In their minds, suffering was always a punishment for something. So they ask Jesus, whose sin is this man suffering for? his own, or that of his parents. Jesus' response, uh, response proves that not all hardships are our fault, so to speak. While it is true that our own choices have great impact on our lives, it is also true that, our bad, that bad choices and bad things can happen to those who've done nothing to deserve those particular struggles. Jesus heals a man by putting mud on his eyes and sending him to wash in the pool of Solomon. The end result is a man who can see, though he has never been able to see before. Imagine that for just a brief moment, that you have not seen the things that you have seen, and in an instant, you can see everything around you. Those that you've loved, those that you have been around your entire life, and now you have the ability to see what is right in front of you. The ideas of light and sight and blindness are often used in Scripture as spiritual knowledge. In this case, the man's experience is a metaphor for the Christian experience. The light that comes when we are saved is something we never previously had and never could have until Christ chose to grant it to us. In youth ministry lingo, we call this moment the aha moment. When everything you've learned in Sunday School Bible Story VBS all takes shape, and you're able to see it play out right in front of you. I wonder what your aha moment was. The moment whenever you realized who God was, who God was moving into your life, and as it continues to be. That flash when the world and the gospel looks a little bit clearer, and it begins to make sense. I hope you still have those aha moments today. Jesus healing this man is in a sense prophetic. The Hebrew scriptures, and particularly Isaiah, speaks of the promised one healing blindness. In all of scripture, Genesis to Revelation, only Jesus is credited with miracles which give sight to the blind. Disciples. Prophets and Paul all performed miracles. Even Elisha, who was a strong man of faith, pursuing God above all else, because of his devotion to God, he performed more miracles than any other prophet in the Old Testament. Yet of all the miracles, it is only Jesus who performs this particular kind of miracle. This is not only proof of his identity it symbolizes the unique way which the Messiah grants understanding of truth. The second movement happens within the crowd and their response. We read in the story that the crowd around him are his neighbors, and they can't grasp what just happened. Those who had formerly seen him begging ask, Is this the, man, the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was, and others said, No, he only looked like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. As with other miracles, Jesus' critics are more interested in finding ways to debunk the miracle than to understand it. Even those who are hostile to Jesus are still focused on knowing how Jesus performed the healing rather than why. Then the Pharisees join the conversation, and their immediate reaction, unsurprisingly, is to condemn Jesus for not properly honoring their Sabbath tradition. This, for them, is stronger evidence than the miraculous healing of blindness. What is remarkable is that for his part, the formerly blind man only knows that whoever granted him sight must be from God. Reminder, the miracle that happened, when the miracle happened, Jesus just slipped away and didn't approach the man until the verses that we read this morning together. The man refers to Jesus, whom he has not seen as a prophet. The scribes and Pharisees have already decided that Jesus is a scam and is to be rejected. At first, they don't even believe that a healing has occurred, which brings us to our third movement today's story, and it's a bit of a street courtroom, a street courthouse that kind of plays out. They question the former blind man, and when they don't like his responses, they bring his parents in. Their tactics are clearly meant to intimidate, hinting that the parents themselves might even be bending the truth about their son's condition. These leaders have warned to excommunicate anyone who supports Jesus, so the man's parents are quick to point out that their son can answer questions for himself and quickly try to push off the focus. Of themselves, the second attempt to interrogate the healed man ends in a disaster for the scribes and Pharisees. After implying the beggar is lying and needs to tell the truth, they suggest that Jesus is a sinner, meant that he cannot really be performing godly miracles. The man's response is a heartbreaking explanation of the Christian experience. For all he does not know but what he does know is beyond a doubt. Though I was blind, now I see. We have to remember that he is still yet to see Jesus or talk to him beyond their first interaction. The examiners repeat the same questions that they have already asked. The formerly blind man responds with sarcasm. My favorite response. <laughs> openly mocking the religious leader's hypocrisy. He says, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? Good sarcasm. They in turn heap insults and verbal abuse on him. They respond, you are his fellow disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. In a dramatic turn, the beggar gives a brilliantly simple counter. He points out that God would not give a sinner the power to perform miracles which had never been done before. The religious leaders, knowing that they have lost any point of the argument, throw their sucker in the dirt and play the last card that they have, and they bar him from the synagogue. Instead of moving the needle or having a bit of an aha moment, they go low and they make it to where this man can't come to worship. How disappointing and gut-wrenching that is when we can't open our arms just a little bit wider to let someone else in, to let them live into their experience, but we know that we don't need a building to worship God. At this point, Jesus once again approaches the man and brings us to our fourth and final movement. Presumably, the man realizes that Jesus is the one who has healed him, and yet he does not fully understand to whom he is speaking. Jesus refers to the Son of Man, which Jews of that era would recognize as a messianic figure. The man openly admits that he wants to believe, but does not know who or how he should turn to. When Jesus identifies himself, the healed man responds with faith and worship, and I'll say it again you don't need a building to worship God because we have a man who was born blind who can now see who is worshiping God in the streets Jesus uses that reaction as an example of one aspect of his earthly mission to separate those who are willing to believe from those who are willfully, spiritually blind I always find it um, an enlightening experience as I read scripture with the question of who am I in the story We have various people that we can bring to the front. We have the Pharisees who want to try to not lose their place in the hierarchy. And I'm not sure if I want to put myself in their shoes, but I know I do at times. I know if I'm honest with myself, I turn a blind eye to certain people in need for various reasons. I know that I'm not the person Christ calls me to be day after day. Because I'm afraid that I might lose something that, I vow, that sometimes I value over my relationship with God. In today's passage, we have the parents, who are, as Dr. Deborah Kapp reminds us, backs away from him. And his parents put their own safety before his welfare. The parents' fear overwhelms their joy, and they abandon their son to the authorities. I'm not sure I want to put myself in their shoes, but I know I do at times. One of my best friends is the best evangelist that I know because he takes every opportunity to share his faith with the mindset of that I may never see them again, so what's the harm? What? Are, are, are you crazy? They'll think you're dumb. They'll think you're over-intruding. They'll, they'll think that something that cannot be said in the walls of the sanctuary, they'll think that about you, Jordan. You've got to be outside of your mind. Doesn't bother him. He says, I may never see them again, but I'm not going to let that fear get to me. We also read that the community failed, not only in caring for the blind man, but they do not recognize the man after he was healed. This is so odd, and I'm not sure if I want to put myself in their shoes, but I know that I do at times. This man lived in the streets amidst all of his life. His neighbors have interacted with him, perhaps helped him cross the street, helped him draw water. They have worshipped with him. Why do they fail to recognize him after he has been healed? Is it because the only marker of his identity was his blindness? Has the fact that he, has, has the fact that he was differently abled been the only thing that they could see in him? How often do we keep someone in a box and we don't allow them to change? Because I tell you what, that the grace and love of Jesus Christ can change anyone. We put people in boxes all the time and continuously tell them that they're not allowed out of that box and we struggle, we wear ourselves out because we think we're right. As one of my favorite stand-up comedians and storytellers, Mike Birbiglia says, I've given up on the idea of being right. Sometimes we have to admit that we were wrong, we were selfish, and we were blind to the people around us. Our last person we'll discuss in this story is Jesus. I'm not sure I want to put myself in his shoes, and I definitely know that I can't, for those following along. (laughs) Jesus is the only one that the blind man can trust, and he's the only one we can trust in this story. Although the Pharisees lay claim to dispensing grace, it is Jesus who transforms. It is Jesus who heals. It is Jesus who stands with the man in his final isolation. And he stands with us too. The light of the world in our midst, and we need not shut our eyes. In fact, the best thing we can do is to open our eyes wide. We will not be blinded by the light. We will be saved. One of my favorite nights of the year was this past Sunday, and it's the Academy Awards. And ever since I was in elementary school, I fell in love with going to the movies. When I was in high school, my best friend Matt and I would leave church around 11. We'd go to Applebee's, because right behind Applebee's was Carmike Cinemas. We'd go see the 12 o'clock showing and the 2 o'clock showing of whatever movie came out that weekend. Then we'd scamper off to youth group. I love the movies. In this past year's film, there was one that stood head and shoulders above the rest, and that is everything, everywhere, all at once. Without giving too much away, it deals with one of my favorite storylines, and that's time travel. Most of the TV shows and movies that I love deal with time travel in some sort of way. In everything, everywhere, all at once, we find Evelyn Kwan Wang, who is a middle-aged Chinese-American immigrant, who runs a laundromat with her husband, Wayman. Two decades previously, they eloped to the United States and had their daughter, Joy. The laundromat is being audited by the IRS, and then a cosmic battle takes place over time and space, which is quite a mind-bender. But at the, root of it, at the root of it all is a mother's love for her daughter. The scene that got me the most is one of the timelines. They are rocks. Reminder, A bit of a mind-bender. And during the last scene as them as rocks, the daughter Joy hurls herself off a cliff. And without hesitation, the mother rock goes after her. This morning's gospel text lets us peek into a unique time in our history. John's concept of revelation and sin is that Jesus is coming reveals who people are, and that we are all really in darkness. We need the giver of light and sight. And the ones who own up to this need accept Jesus as the revealer and the giver of light and sight. We see Jesus striving and maintaining relationship with everyone he meets. And there's a part of me that believes if that we were all rocks, that Jesus' love will continue to come after us time and time again, possibly to the extent of hurling off a cliff to get to us. There is a risk in following Jesus, but at the same time, there is great reward. And we are not here for that reward, but we recognize it and know that it is there. In that recognition, we can proclaim, just as the blind man did, one thing I do know, I was blind." but now I see. In closing, I know we'll have a few more weeks together, but I want y'all to know it has been a treasure serving here at Southminster Presbyterian Church. As I told the session last month, y'all took a risk in hiring me in the middle of a pandemic. Every other church was laying off or in a hiring freeze, but y'all took a risk. Keep taking risk. Don't let doubt, fear, or the unknown stand in your way. Thanks be to God for the Scriptures. Thanks be to God for Southminster. And thanks be to God for all of you. Amen.